From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Uh, how to form communities and support networks in order to defeat the new world order. Writer, researcher, adventurer, Stefan Verstappen is standing by this hour to discuss that. And then in hour two, open lines. And incidentally, have you registered for my free monthly newsletter yet? Inner Sanctum. It's uh, just jam-packed with great content. Uh, there's a This Month in Conspiracy History. There's a monthly brief from me, my monthly editor's podcast pick, a spotlight on previous guests, uh, a book club. What else? Well, there's a lot there. All you need to do to have Inner Sanctum delivered to your email inbox, again, for free every month, just go to strangeplanet.ca. That's my website, strangeplanet.ca, and click on the, well, there's a big blue sign there. It just says, sign up now for my newsletter. You just click on that. It'll ask you for your name and your email, and that's it. You're done. And you'll start receiving the Inner Sanctum. And you'll also be automatically entered into the monthly draw for Strange Planet merchandise. My guest is working on a new book. It's called The Complete Guide to Forming Communities, which, he says, offers plans and solutions to solve many of the problems plaguing Western society. Forming a support network and communities may be the only way to survive some kind of economic cataclysm or other natural or man-made disaster. The ultimate goal of this guide, he says, is to help free us of the shackles of the new world order. Stefan Verstappen is a Canadian author, researcher, adventurer. He's written dozens of articles for various magazines and newspapers. He's the author of eight books, including The Way of the Warrior, The 36 Strategies of Ancient China, and The Art of Urban Survival. And again, his latest is The Complete Guide to Forming Communities for Mutual Aid, Support, and Charity. Stefan Verstappen, welcome back to The Conspiracy Show. It's been a while. How are you? Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me back on. I think it's been a year since, maybe a year and a half since I was on last. But, right. Uh, and w- yeah. we we had you on uh, talking about how the world is run by sociopaths and how to sort of recognize a sociopath, how to either get out of their way or defend yourself from sociopaths, correct? That's right. Because they're a big problem in our society. Everybody listening right now will have run into a psychopath at one point in their life and it would have caused them a lot of misery and suffering. And so the better we are able to spot them and avoid them, the happier your life will be. Right. Okay. So when you say forming a community, and let's say that we're, and we'll get into what sort of disasters we might be anticipating. In fact, last week we, we spent the, the entire two hours talking about this huge space rock, um, Apophis, which is some say is on a uh, on a collision course with our planet in uh, April of 2029. Now, this is a planet killer. I don't know if forming a community above ground will do us any good, but let's let's say we're we're anticipating some sort of a um, an economic a huge economic crash. 
uh, because, you know, the, the stock market has just been outperforming and it's sort of exceeded the, the seven year cycles. Typically we get, uh, seven year cycles. We get a, a tremendous uh, bull market and then a bear. Um, but it seems to be overheating. So let's assume we're, we're anticipating, um, like a huge crash that's going to cause, it's going to be so disruptive. It's going to cause a breakdown in social order. When you talk about forming a community, just walk me through what you mean. Are we talking about, you know, like I'm going to, if I'm going to survive, I need to know a doctor because I can't perform surgery on myself. So I'm going to look, seek out, befriend a doctor and maybe a dentist and maybe a carpenter and maybe someone with some engineering background. Uh, and, and together we're going to make, maybe make a plan to bug out somewhere and settle and form our own little community. Is, is that what you're talking about? Well, that's that's a possibility. Uh, I'm not a big fan of bugging out uh, because I don't think you're going to have time for it, and I'm not sure that you'll be able to escape the chaos once it hits the big cities. Um, and also forming a lot of people have this idea that they'll form this community out in the countryside. And I belong to communes and, and have uh, been parts of groups and, and communities before, Tends not to work that great. What my plan is, now mind you, I did start off writing the book for ex- exactly that scenario. I've been a survivalist since I was 16, so that's, you know, 45 years. And uh, I wrote an article for the Trends Journal, Gerald Salente's publication, called uh, Historical Cycles Are We Doomed to Repeat the Past?, and it's based on my research into history, because I, I love history. My first book is on history. And are we doomed to repeat the past? And what I discovered was that, like many historians, I had the same th- theory, but I kind of combined them all together into one theory. And that is that society follows certain cycles, usually a four-stage cycle. And by all indications, we are at that stage in the cycle known as the collapse, as the end of the empire, entering into chaos. I mean, all the science are there. Look around, like you said, with the stock market. market. But it's not just the stock market. It's, uh, um, you know, we're going into a, a, a cold spell, a cold age, a, a mini ice age, where we have problems with the crops, with the, uh, with the droughts and the floods. Food prices are going to go through the roof. But we also have a, a lot of problems with, uh, with society. We have the drug addiction. It's k- killing tens of thousands of people on OxyContin. We have the alcoholism. We have the alienation. We have massive suicide rates all over the country. The suicide rates have not been this high since the Great Depression. We have a government... All of our governments, all Western governments, United States, Canada, all of them are run by sociopaths and psychopaths. They're in there. We'll never get them out. And um, they are doing everything they can to destroy Western civilization. So we we see the signs of rot everywhere. Increased crime, that's another thing. You know, I live here in, um, in Oakville. And... We, you know, Oakville has traditionally been, you know, a little wasp bedroom community with very expensive mansions and no crime whatsoever. And, you know, we just had a bicycle stolen off our front yard a couple of days ago. Never happened. My, my neighbor is so shocked. He's, he, he's gone into PTSD. Somebody came into <laughs> Oakville. Oh my. 
having <laughs> fed, for stolen fed a stolen bicycle. Well, yeah, I, yeah. I mean that's the way it starts. It's the little, you know, it's the little crimes and uh, that lead to bigger things, I suppose. Uh, okay, so a lot of people, yeah, we, we, we we've we've often talked on this program about uh, the the existential threats uh, to Western civilization and. Um, whether it's going to end in a in an abrupt bang, helped along by some cataclysmic event like an EMP, or uh, who who knows? But so let's get back to the the idea then of, of forming a community. You don't like the idea of bugging out, so the idea is I guess we're going to dig in, uh, stay put where you are. So then, how do you form these communities? Do you reach out? I mean, again, are you looking for certain skill sets that you want to? You want to uh, connect with and befriend these people. Well, the 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 first skill set that you would need is honesty and trustworthiness. Now, this is going to be difficult. You know, my solutions in this book will solve you know most of our problems, most of society's problems, and it will enable us to survive no matter what happens. If it's an EMP, or if it's a economic collapse, or if it's a breakdown of law and order. We can survive that, but there's one big giant hurdle to overcome, and that is we need to trust each other and we need to be trustworthy. And this is a problem. We, you know, part of the decay of our society has been the educational system and the popular culture, the, the media, the music, the movies, all of which has been specifically designed on purpose, and this is, you know, the conspiracy part of this story, by a, a cabal of people that want to destroy our civilization. And so what they have done is they specifically did human behavioral programming to turn most people or many people into pathological narcissists that are incapable of working together, incapable of sacrificing for each other, and incapable of trusting people. They've done this on purpose, and this goes way back. Um, Peter Kropotkin, who is uh, an anarchist, whom I, uh, uh, you know, is the source of many of my ideas for this book, wrote that the governments of the world have always hated mutual aid societies. They've hated independent, self-reliant communities. They don't like that. They want everybody dependent on the state so that they can control you better. If you can do things on your own and, and you're self-sufficient and you don't need the government to, to run your life for you, then the government has no hold over you. And by the government, I mean the state. Whatever, you know, whatever political ideology they pretend to follow, it doesn't matter. The government is the state. The state is a monolithic power. It's a psychopathic influence in the world. And the people that are attracted to the power of the state are nasty people and they only want the worst for us. So they have always been suspicious of communities. And he even talks about back in the 1700s how the governments went into the farming communities because in those days they had what they called farming villages. And all the people that lived in the village owned the farmland in common. So it wasn't one farmer had, you know, 10 acres here and another farmer had 10 acres there. The entire village owned all of the farmland in, in, in community. It's uh, uh, in common. And they would all share in the work and they would all share in the profit. It was an ideal system, as Peter Kropotkin said. It was, it looked after its members 
And you could best describe this as communalism, not to be confused with communism. Now, what communism, right, I was going to say, because it does sound, on the surface at least, a little bit like a collective, which, I mean, invariably, I mean, in the, in the very beginning of the, uh, you know, shortly after the pilgrims arrived in the United States, there was a bit of an experiment with that collectivism, and it, it, it failed horribly because, uh, you know, people, they took more than they should have, and they worked less than they, they should have, and some people got tired of doing all the work, and, and, uh, and, and so ultimately these things fail, collectivist movements, but how, how is this different? Well, it's different because it's, it's, anar- uh, it's an anarchic uh, structure. There is no hierarchy. And there's also charters and rules that you have to follow, you have to contribute. And again, these, these communities, the people knew each other very well. So it would be very embarrassing to shirk your responsibilities to the, communi- to the community because then, you know, you stood the risk of being ostracized which was the only kind of punishment available because they didn't believe in capital punishment or corporal punishment. And In other words, you'd they, be forced out of the village. You would be, in other words, yes, you could be forced out of the village. This, um, you know, this same thing happened in China where they've had this village um, community uh, structure for thousands of years, and to this day, if you don't belong to a community, you are viewed with... Suspicion because they figure you were ostracized from a community for not contributing enough. So, it, yes, it's a fine balance line. Now, what communism did was take the success of these communalisms, uh, the communities, and say, this is what we're going to give to you. And, of course, then they turned the table, and uh, instead you get a tyranny and mass starvation and mass murder. But the reason communism became popular was because they would hide behind the success stories of communalism. And it's, it's, again, it's not a collective because the difference between it is in communism you have a central authority and in a community there is no central authority. Nobody's the boss, nobody's the headman. Everything is done uh, in a democratic method. Everybody votes on an, every major change. But they are also sort of like a Republican or a republic. There are there is a charter that the community draws up, the founding members, everybody signs on to it, and that charter can't be changed. So you can vote, you know, uh, on on certain details, but you can't vote to suddenly turn the entire community into a armed camp or something like that. It, it, you still have to obey the, the common laws and rules that everybody agrees to, and people that join these communities have copy of the charter and they have to agree to it and sign to it so there is no central authority that will you know rule as a tyranny and control things and if there are people that can't contribute because they're sick or they got injured that's not a problem that's all already taken into the uh, it's part of the charter and i will include such charters in the book so that you don't have to write one up yourself you can just copy what i've already written add your name to it it's it, it's pretty straightforward and uh, very egalitarian everybody has equal opportunity and so if there are people that can't contribute at one time that's not a problem because that's the whole point of the community that during hard times when people are 
injured or sick or unable to work and contribute, then the community comes together and supports them. But we this don't live in we don't live in an agrarian society for the most part. So then how do you on what basis would you form this mutual aid society? Well that's the other thing is that uh, you know the idea is that we're gonna all move to a big farmland and we'll work together that way. But we can work together autonomously in communities, we don't have to live together, we don't have to get a big house together, so long as we can work together and we can form a community and that community has to be flexible. What we're going up against, whatever is coming down the pipe for us, whatever sort of catastrophe, your best ability to survive it is to be able to be fluid and adapt to the circumstances. It's the old Chinese adage, be like water. And so a community, and what differentiates my ideas on, on this with the, the old agrarian ideas, is that our community, so long as you have a core group of people that trust and work together, then you can morph that community to deal with whatever uh, um, um, tra- tragedy or problem that you may have. So, for example, I live here in Oakville. Let's say I get five families. They might live a block away. They might live a mile away. They might live two miles away. Now, right now, we're not, you know, under attack from a foreign power. The grid is still up. Everything is fine except the cost of food is going through the roof. So what I can do with this community is we can morph into a buying group. So we all pool our grocery money. Instead of everybody going by themselves to the store and paying for groceries, we pool it together. We buy a, a membership at Costco or we can form a nonprofit and call it the Oakville Food Bank or the Oakville Food Co-op and apply for a wholesaler's license. Even if we just sell it to our own five families, now the cost of rising food costs, we can cut those costs in half just by working together. And we don't have to live together. We don't have to be in the same house. As long as we're within, I recommend, you know, a 20-mile radius of each other. So long as you all live within 20 miles, and, and the reason I say 20 miles is that's how much, how far you can walk in one day. Ah. So if everything collapses and, um, you know, there's nothing available and, and now you're starving and cold and hungry, at least you can walk to the next nearest member's right. house. We're going to take a, a quick time out here, uh, Stefan Verstappen, and uh, he is working on this new book. And actually, a little bit later, he's going to tell you how you can help him complete uh, this guide to uh, building communities, forming mutual aid societies, and how you can do it right now. You don't have to wait for some disaster, some uh, cataclysmic event. You can form a, a food co-op right now, a food bank. Uh, become a food wholesaler and uh, cut down the cost of uh, groceries. All right, we'll uh, come back and continue to delve into this fascinating area. Stay with us right here on The Conspiracy Show. Fasten your seatbelt and put your tray in the upright position. You're about to leave everything you know behind on The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett. S-Y, because I love you, R-E-T-T. I'm also on uh, Facebook, 
Uh, just uh, search Strange Planet with Richard Serrett, Strange Planet with Richard Serrett, and uh, also on Instagram. And uh, Stefan Verstappen is uh, with us. His uh, book, well, it's it's in the development stage. He's working on it, and uh, it's called uh, The Complete Guide to Forming Communities for Mutual Aid, Support, and Charity. And uh, there are charters and other uh, sort of templates for um, various uh, d- documents in there that, for example, um, you mentioned, Stefan, that you could form a wholesaler. Uh, type group, and so you can cut down on the on the price of food by getting, let's say, five, ten families together. You su- you apply for a wholesaler license, a wholesaler's license, or a, f- a food co-op, and then you could get pr- obviously a reduced price on your groceries, and then sell it amongst yourselves. So, is there a, is there a document in there, a template to help you actually apply for that license? Yeah, I have documents in there, and I also discussed. A- the pros and minuses of various ways that you could incorporate such a group, whether you want to incorporate. There's three sort of variations, unincorporated, incorporated, and nonprofit. And depending on your circumstances and the people you're working with, you choose which one would work best for you. Most of the time, unincorporated is fine. Um, but in a case like a food co-op, then maybe – Registering as a, uh, a, a nonprofit, and uh, but you can also register as a corporation and still get a wholesaler's license. So it's up to you. But I give you the pros and cons of each of the, those legal entities that you could choose to uh, uh, incorporate your, your your group in, and so they have benefits and and uh, and, and 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 minuses. Up to you how to do it. But so the the plan is then that. This group or this community, and you could even start it with just two people. I recommend minimum five but uh, and maximum 200. But it's meant to be able to morph, to adapt as things get worse. So now probably what we're facing is going to be rising food costs. It's going to drive people to, to uh, you know, really suffer and do without. The other thing is, you know, I... I Two years ago, I went up north, Richard, you know, up to North Bay and Thunder Bay and Perry Sound. I drove around in the old cottage countries, and I was so depressed. Those those towns are all dead. You know, the Main Street, the, the shops are boarded up. You drive through the little subdivisions. Every other house has a for sale sign on it. I was talking to the waitresses at the roadhouse and, and, the, and the guys that were was renting the canoes and asking them, you know, how are things up here? How are you guys getting by? And you know what they all complained about was the unbelievable cost of hydro. Sure. They can't, they can't afford the electricity. And the one waitress said, well, you know, I used to live in, in, uh, in Thunder Bay, but I had to move to, uh, Perry Sound to live with my sister because I can no longer afford the hydro on my house in Thunder Bay. Now, you can't so form a co-op to, 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 to buy energy, or can you? Well, you can. There's ah. there's co-ops, and they, they've done this in the United States. There's co-ops that will come together to buy fuel oil, and they'll get it at a, at, at a bargain. So then you might have to convert your house over to, to oil heat or, or propane, uh, because there's nothing we can do about the hydro that's a monopoly here in Canada and and, and the last premier sure destroyed that, and now everybody's paying the price for it. But switch your heat over to propane or oil, and then the same group that you use to buy groceries 
for half price now also buys your heating oil for a huge discount. So you can afford to keep your house warm and to run and or propane. Um, and they've done that successfully in England, where apparently many houses are on, on uh, oil heating. So even something like that, we can, again, if we work together, and we can even go further than that. We can, you know, support each other in putting up alternative energy sources. I'm not a big fan of solar panels or wind energy. I think they're a complete waste of time. But maybe you want to buy a generator, a good generator, and or buy one for each house and run it on diesel, which and then buy the diesel wholesale. And so everybody's running a, a, a generator and running it on cheaper fuel oil than you would pay if you bought the, the electricity straight off the grid. There's all kinds of ways you can morph this community. Now, as things get worse and worse, let's say now another problem, health insurance. You know, we have our free health insurance here in Canada. I haven't been to a doctor in 40 years. I wouldn't go. Uh, so I have not availed myself of the free health care. But I can tell you from my experience in the United States, if you have private insurance, you get to go to five-star hospitals. You know, if you don't have private insurance, you're standing in a lineup with, with 200 people in front of you in the emergency room. Right, So, which is an everyday might, occurrence here. <laughs> it, right. So what's happening now here? I mean, it was good for a while. I remember back in the 70s and the 80s, you know, the medical system here was okay. You know, you could right. get a doctor. You could go into the emergency room and probably somebody would see you in two hours. Well, it's Forget like, about it's like all socialism, uh, socialistic systems. They all work wonderfully at first because basically the government is stealing other people's money. And mm. uh, but then, as Margaret Thatcher said, eventually you run out of other people's money. Uh, and that facade quickly, you know, then there's the the, the, the collapse begins, and and that's what's happening with our healthcare system. It's unsustainable. It is unsustainable. It's going to collapse eventually, and so you have two alternatives. How do we uh, get around this? How do we solve this problem for ourselves and our families and our communities? Well, the answer to that goes back to the old friendly societies. Back in the 1800s and going all the way back to the 1600s, and even this goes back to Roman times when when mutual aid societies were called colleges, which is where we got the term college today. This is a thousand-year-old solution. What they did, but more importantly, what the mutual aid societies did, these were lodge systems. You became a member, you paid $5 a month, and for that $5 a month, you've got complete health care, unemployment insurance, and retirement benefits. The equivalent today, this is without inflation, equivalent today of about $5, $10 a month. That was your membership fee. <coughs> Excuse me. And what they did with that money is they hired a full-time doctor. So if you got sick, the doctor would come to your house. Now, we used to have... Um, home visits from doctors. I remember when I was a little kid, five years old, once a doctor came to the house to check on me for an ear infection, and they were called house calls. But that used to be quite common. You didn't go to a, a clinic. You didn't go to the hospital. The doctor would take his little black bag, and he would come to your house. So if you were sick at 2 o'clock in the morning, the doctor would be there at your door. And 
it was a good deal for the doctors because they got paid whether or not people were sick or not. So most of the time they weren't really doing anything. And if somebody did get sick, then, you know, they were happy to, to go and visit them and heal them. And they were paid by the mutual aid societies. Now all this came to an end. And here we go again into the conspiracy, but the Rockefeller Foundation and the American Medical Association ganged up to destroy this system. The American Medical Association decided they weren't going to license doctors that worked for mutual aid societies. Ah. Yeah, so that killed them. And then Rockefeller came in with uh, with the health insurance and and all kinds of crooked deals with Kaiser Permanente. And anyways, long story short, the mutual aid societies pretty much went out of existence because their purpose was to provide health care, unemployment insurance, welfare, death benefits, retirement plans. Uh, and in addition, they were so successful just with collecting a little bit of money from members that they built their own hospitals and they built orphanages and they built retirement homes. So you paid 10 bucks a month. Now you get exclusive access to your own private hospital. But how many how many community members are in this mutual aid society would you need for that to be sustainable? Well, they were in those days, um, you know, they had local chapters. So something like the Goodfellows Society. There's still a few chapters around now. Um, mostly they're in England. The, the other nearest is the Foresters, and they still offer health insurance. You can get cheaper health insurance by becoming a member of the Foresters. And so, but they're in the uh, tens of thousands. But local chapters would be a couple of hundred, five hundred, maybe a thousand people for the local chapters. But in the 1800s, um, I believe it was seven out of ten people in the United States belonged to one of these organizations. And they had all kinds of funny names like the Royal Knights of Sidonia or whatever. Right. And the Daughters of Noah. But how would we do that today in, in 2019, uh, Stefan, when you're, let's say you're forming a, a, a co-op with a dozen families, uh, a food co-op and so forth. How, how would this work for, uh, for health? Health insurance. Well, what we, well, what we can do now is, um, and this is what I would recommend. If you've got, you know, five, ten families, so let's say you've got 50, maybe 100 people, now go to a health insurance provider and get a group policy. If you've got private health insurance, um, you get go to the head of the line here now, right? And uh, same in the United States, man, private health insurance. Uh, and in the States with this Obamacare, unbelievable the rates that they're paying, you know, $1,400 a month for health insurance for a family. That's That's a mortgage payment. And what do they get for that? Still the same crappy service we get here. <laughs> but if you had private insur- insurance, boy, I, I, my wife had private insurance. And when she got sick, she, we took her to a hospital. Oh, my God, it was like the five-star hotel. All right, so, I've got to take another uh, time out. We will yeah. uh, come back and uh, continue to discuss how to form mutual aid societies, how to form support networks and communities the complete guide to forming communities for mutual aid support and charity Stefan Verstappen my guest right here on The Conspiracy Show stay with us providing the evidence and letting you draw your own conclusions 
This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarr. Welcome back. Stefan Verstappen, Canadian author, researcher, adventurer, survivalist, and uh, his latest is The Complete Guide to Forming Communities for Mutual Aid, Support, and Charity. Now, um, you're looking to uh, to publish this. You're looking uh, for some assistance. Tell people how they can help get this off the ground, Stefan. Uh, well, I have a uh, GoFundMe campaign. And see, the thing is, I I work on on uh, small commissions. Um, I, I do art projects. I do editing projects. And for me to take two months off to finish the book, I can't afford it because I have to. I can't give up all these other little jobs which consume all my time to devote full time to fun to finishing off this book. And you really need like a, a good month, six weeks, two months to finish it off. I'm almost done. I'm I'm three quarters of the way through. You know, I've, I've got half of it already recorded as an audio book. If people want to listen to it, chapters one and and two are available. But I, so I'm I'm, I'm looking to uh, I need some money to buy me some time, and then to go through the publishing and, and printing costs. So I have a, a GoFundMe campaign, and it's um, backslash How to Create a Community. So GoFundMe How to Create a Community, and I offer lots of uh, I'm not begging for money. What whoever donates gets tons of books and calendars from me. So it all comes back to you in in turn. And what I'm asking people to do is donate and get and you'll get the first copy when it comes off the press. So basically I'm just selling advanced copies in order to finance the publication of the book. Right. So you go to GoFundMe and it's how to start a community? Yes. All right. Tell me about lending, sir. How to create a community. How to create a community. Sorry. How to create a community. Um, Tell me about lending circles and how they work. Well, lending circles, I learned about that when I lived in China because the Chinese, the Koreans, the Filipinos, the Japanese, they all use this. I remember seeing a a, a news clip from the L.A. riots back back in the in the 90s, 80s, and 90s, and they were interviewing some uh, African Americans, and they were saying, uh, "Ask why are they, you know, attacking this Korean variety store, this K- Korean convenience store? Because it's all Koreans that own those shops." And he says, "Well, how come they can come here and, and and buy a whole store, and 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 we in the black community, there's nobody here that owns a store? Well, I can tell you how they did it." They did it through lending circles. They support each other. So what happens with a lending circle and what the Koreans and the Chinese do, and it's very common there, is that they get, again, you know, five, ten families, and everybody pitches in a certain amount of money every month. Let's say it's a hundred bucks. Okay. So every month there's a hundred bucks. You got, you know, ten families. So a thousand bucks a month is being contributed to the, to the pot. After a year, you got 12,000 bucks, or if there's more, then there's more money. And then what people do is they bid on the money by offering a certain amount of return, like an interest rate. So let's say I want to borrow 5,000 bucks from the pot to start a business, and uh, somebody else wanted to borrow 5,000 bucks, but I'm offering 8% and they're only offering 6, then they'll give it to me. Now, what else happens is, so now you've got your funding, you've got your, your, your uh, angel investor, basically, for your new business. Now, the other thing that happens is, is, you know, they'll buy a variety store, a convenience store. 
Now, everybody else in the lending circle, it's in their best interest to make sure this guy succeeds because they're going to get their 8% back. And um, so what they all do is they all contribute to making it run. I mean, they've got, you know, grandpa and grandma working in there. They've got the kids working, doing shifts because, you know, they, they keep those places open 12, 24 hours a day. Right. Uh, you know, everybody pulls a shift in there. Everybody in the community pulls a shift in there. But not only that, see, here's the other bet, spinoff benefits is they now also have a wholesaler's license. So everybody in that lending circle now gets all their groceries wholesale. Aha. Right? So everybody kicks in. Everybody supports each other. Now, what happens is they make this business work. They run it for five years. Then they sell it. The money goes back into it, into the kitty. Now, the next thing they buy is a motel. Right. And right. Again, they all put in a shift, you know, the grandkids clean the rooms, grandma takes, uh, works in the kitchen, and yeah, everybody, you know, supports it to make it a success because they get their money back plus the interest. It's that ingenious. They have. It's ingenious. Right? Plus they get all the benefits. That, you know, if, if somebody in the family wants to get married, well, they got a venue for free now. They don't have to pay, you know, $5,000 for a hotel. Everybody benefits from it because it, it, the wealth is spread back through the community. It's genius, it Richard. It is. Let and, me, we, and these things would, yeah. this would, this would run smoothly when, when society as a whole is running smoothly. When, for example, if you form a, a food wholesale group, as long as the, the the groceries are being delivered to the stores, uh, and you can access those, but what happens when things go really south and it's money doesn't that money doesn't mean anything anymore, and and groceries aren't in the, on the store shelves anymore? I was just going to get to that. So as we go through the progression of these communities, we start off with smaller problems like you know rising cost of food and healthcare and. But now we start to get into the more serious problems. So let's say the, the grocery stores close down. The you know it could happen a number of different ways. You could the grid could go out. I mean I've been here a couple of times during a power blackout. You know for eight days without hydro here in Toronto. And guess what? All the local grocery stores are closed because they can't process uh, credit cards or, or payments. Besides, the fridges aren't working and the, the food's going rotten. So Right, and major centers are on just-in-time delivery. I mean, th- we have probably, what, maybe 48 hours of food supply in the city, in the big cities. We're going to take another time out. This was a short segment. We'll come back and go uh, right to the top of the hour. And if you're good for it, uh, Stefan, I was going to do open lines in the second hour, I, uh, but maybe, can I get you to hang on into the oh, second sh- hour? Yeah, I told all my followers, call in. Excellent. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll also open up the lines in the second hour and take questions and comments, but we'll keep this going. All right, Stefan Verstappen is uh, telling us how to build or create a community, how to create a community when times get tough. We'll be back with more of this discussion right after this. My name is Richard Serrett. Don't go away. Listening to the Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Say hello on Twitter at Richard Serrett S Y because I love you R E double T. And uh, Stefan Verstappen is with us. We're going to carry out him on into the second hour as we continue to discuss uh, how to create communities and mutual um, aid uh, groups, mutual support uh, groups, in order to deal with uh, catastrophic catastrophic events, for example. So. Uh, 
Uh, before we get back to uh, Stefan, let me just uh, give a, a shout out here to a couple of my uh, Patreon supporters in the Star Chamber tier, Denny Bladell and Kirk Shamel. Denny and Kirk, thank you so much for your ongoing and loyal support every month. It means so much to us. And also, I want to welcome a new Patreon uh, uh, donor in the, uh, that's the Truth Seeker tier, Demetra Antimasirius. Demetra Antimasirius, uh, thank you so much. And uh, uh, because you joined in the month of December, Demetra, we're going to send out a Strange Planet mug your way. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, so, St- uh, Stefan, we were talking about these uh, lending circles, and which is absolutely ingenious. Uh, and then I was asking you about, okay, so that's fine as long as we have some sort of, um, you know, civil uh, order in society. But what happens when that breaks down? What happens, let's say there's a, an EMP event uh, or a total financial uh, meltdown? What happens then? Well, this is the original, per- what I started off writing the book for, how to deal with that type of scenario. And as I, so that part of the book is already finished. I gave a lot of thought what to do, you know, end of the world scenario with an EMP or crashing of the grid or mass pandemic, you name it, whatever it is. And that's how I started writing the book. And I finished that chapter first. But then I was going through the material and my research and I realized that, well, maybe it's not the end of the world, but we have a lot of problems right now. And that's when I started to adapt the same principles that I would use for a a catastrophic scenario, a disaster scenario. The same principles can be used to solve the smaller disasters, which we've already covered to some degree. So now let's say it is now... Very serious, a national disaster. So first of all, your community must be committed to a certain disaster preparedness program. And I've written it all out. It's very easy to follow. I have three levels of preparedness, level one, level two, level three. And all it's very simple to remember. Level one means you have three days worth of food, medicine, and uh, uh, heating oil, whatever you need, and shelter materials. So... For three days, you can eat. For three days, you've got the, the medicine that your, 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 your diabetic auntie needs. And uh, for three days, you'll be able to stay warm. Level two is three months, or uh, three weeks, sorry. So now for almost a month, you've got enough food for a month and enough medicine stored up, antibiotics, things like that. And then level three is three months, so a quarter year. Uh, enough food, enough medicine to last you for three months. Now, you can get to this gradually. I mean, stock up three days' worth of food. Come on, take you a weekend. Go to the grocery store uh, tomorrow and, and buy three days' worth of food. So, great. Now, next month or next week, buy another three days' worth of food. And the week after that, another three days' worth of food. Now, at the end of the month, you've got three weeks' worth of food. So, and you just keep going. You know, it's not like a huge output. I, you spend, uh, when I go to the grocery store, I spend an extra five bucks. Extra five bucks buys me three cans of canned mushrooms and two cans of cream of mushroom soup. You know, and then the next week I'll spend five bucks. I'll get, you know, 50 packs of ramen noodles and some canned peas and so on. And you build it up slowly. It's, you don't need to spend a lot of money, but what your community must have is a basic preparedness level then 
Would you form a we, committee? Would you within your within your community? Do you have committees, sort of like a level one disaster committee, a level two disaster committee, a level three? No, not based on the level of disaster, but on on the functions of of uh, on survival functions. So you have basically five survival functions that you need, and it's based on the the law of three, which states you can live three minutes without air, you can live uh, three hours without shelter. You can live three days without uh, uh, water and three weeks without food. So what I've done is I've created a community that, uh, I'm sorry, a team, and even one person could be a team. Up, up to you how many people you have. You got five people in your community. Good. Everybody's head of something. And those, uh, those survival needs are number one, medical. So you need somebody that's got some medical skills. Like you said, you wish you knew a doctor. Well, <clears throat> maybe you don't know a doctor, but have an EMT or a home home nursing assistant or someone who someone. has any sort of medical training, who could dress a wound, who could who could um, set a, a broken a bone, uh, who could uh, hopefully you know someone who who, who could remove uh, a gallbladder uh, or. Um, or uh, I don't know an infected um, spleen or something. I don't know. You're going to have to have you have someone who's capable of doing those sorts of things. Well, it'd be nice if you could, but it, it's not likely. Now, when I was living in California, my best friend was an emergency room doctor, so <laughs> we had access to all the equipment and antibiotics and Novocaine, you name it. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, a lot of that I can do because I've been studying up on it. Right. And um, so whoever decides, whoever in your community has the most medical experience, right? So now you tell them to study up on it, get, read up on some of the books. I haven't s- stitched up a wound myself, but I've read enough books on how to do it that I'm pretty confident I can stitch up a wound. Uh, I can do, you know, I can set a leg, I can split, I can se- secure a, a spinal cord injury, things like that. So you have one person that's going to take over the medical functions, and it's his responsibility or her to put together a good first aid kit, and everybody in the community chips in a couple of bucks to buy the medical supplies. That Again, it's like a buying community, a lending circle, but now you're focusing on survival skills and equipment. And, uh, it, you know, you can decide yourself. Do you want to go for a level one? Are you good for three days? Then we'll do that. We'll, it takes you a month to get to that level. But if you're more serious, and again, it depends on the way things look. If you see society getting really bad really fast, well, then up your survival level as quickly as you can, right? In the beginning, maybe you say, well, okay, everybody's going to throw in 10 bucks a week to reach a certain level of preparedness. But now you look at what's going on. There's war. There's riots. There's anarchy. There's revolutions. Okay, let's have everybody kick in a hundred bucks a week. Okay, so that's your your medical team, but you also have uh, you have security needs as well, especially if if things get rather chaotic. Exactly. So the next the next team is shelter. You need that be warm. And and again, I'm writing this from a Canadian perspective. And the damn winters here. Oh my God. So the second uh, need is shelter. You need somebody that knows that either has an extra garage that they can heat, that people can come to and stay in the garage or have a large house, have a family room in their basement. You can put five, six people in there. Um, it's their responsibility to get extra blankets, make sure there's a fireplace. they got firewoods. They've got uh, cots and mattresses and tents. 
So that's shelter team. You need somebody to take care of that. Third one is nourishment. Somebody that looks after making sure you have, you need fresh water. Uh, now here in Canada, we don't have a problem. I got lakes and rivers all over, me, all around me. I know how to purify water. I, I, water's not a problem for me. But, you know, you need food and water. And so somebody's in charge of that. And that person might be in charge of buying all the groceries for the community. All the emergency, uh, um, food supplies. Now you can store those emergency food supplies in the basement of your local church or Joe's house has a big garage. Okay, we're going to stop it there. We're going to head into the uh, the next hour, top of the hour. We'll keep Stefan Verstappen uh, with us. We'll open up the phone lines, questions, comments, and uh, we'll continue to delve into how to build the these communities, how create how to create communities not only for uh, disasters, uh, but we'll also get into how this is uh, also a method of perhaps fighting back against the new world order. We'll discuss on the other side. Stay with us.